Well, what we sung to our God, let's pray now to him and ask him to open his word to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, your word is a lamp for our feet and a light to our path, and we desire to keep your righteous rules. So give us life, O Lord, according to your word. Your testimonies are our heritage forever, for they are the joy of our hearts. Father, by your Holy Spirit, open your word and incline our hearts to follow it forever. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. If you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here today. We've been considering a series through the book of Mark, and we've come to chapter 7, verse 13. So our text for the sermon this morning will be verses 13 through 24, uh, but as this is part of a longer discourse of Jesus to remind us of the context, we'll begin our reading at verse 1 and read through verse 24. Actually, we're going to stop our reading at verse 23, sorry. Uh, 13 through 23 will be our text. So Mark chapter 7, beginning our reading at verse 1, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. 
all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Uh, When we began our consideration of chapter 7 a few weeks ago, uh, we looked and thought about how the passage begins really with people questioning Jesus' commitment to purity. They asked him why his disciples didn't wash hands and why they were unconcerned for their purity. But we reminded ourselves that that question is really directed at Jesus. Why aren't you concerned with purity? Why aren't you concerned with defilement? And we saw how Jesus answered that question, said that they're not really all that concerned with purity in the first place, that their hearts are really far from God and their worship is vanity, replacing what God has said to do with their own traditions. He's already engaged the religious leaders. And now you see in our, in our text in verse 14, he turns to the crowd um, and wants to talk to the crowd about what's been happening, about what's being said. He's no longer dialoguing with these authorities. He's already proven them wrong. He now wants to turn to the crowd and make sure they understand properly about purity. Make sure they understand properly about what defiles a person. And it's important that Jesus communicates this to them. It's important that Jesus communicates this to us um, because what he really is saying is we have no concept of how serious a problem our defilement is. He says you have these religious leaders who are worried about washing hands Um, And he says they're worried about that kind of thing because they don't really understand the true nature of the problem of defilement. As they saw the problem, the problem was defiled hands. And Jesus is going to say, no, the problem is actually much deeper. The problem is not that we have defiled hands. The problem is that we have defiled hearts. And that's a much more serious problem then anyone has taught you to think of it. That's what he's saying to the crowd. The people who should be teaching you truth are not teaching it to you. The problem as they see it is not as, as they're teaching it to you is not as serious as the problem really is. And that's really important, isn't it? Because small problems can be fixed with small solutions. Right? If it starts to rain and your windshield wipers are just smearing the rain rather than cleaning it off, you can solve that problem relatively easily, can't you, by replacing the windshield wiper blades. That's a pretty simple fix. Small problem, small fix. If your transmission goes out in your car, that can be a catastrophic problem. That's going to require a much more serious problem. Whenever we take the car to the mechanics, that's the last thing we want to hear them say to us, right? that there's something wrong with the transmission or something wrong with something major because major problems require major solutions. And essentially what Jesus is coming and doing and saying to the people is, look, the the religious leaders are acting as if the the problem of defilement is a relatively small problem. He says, but the actual truth is defilement is a serious problem. And if it's not properly understood, if the problem is not properly understood, then you won't understand what kind of fix is needed, what kind of solution to that problem is necessary. And that's what Jesus is really doing here, exposing the truth about what defiles a person. And so what he first does is he proclaims the source of defilement. So we're going to see the source proclaimed. Jesus is going to point us to the problem. He's going to talk about the sins that are produced from that source. And that's the second thing we're going to look at. And all of that sets us up to think about the salvation that's provided 
by our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's how we're going to think about this passage together this morning. The source proclaimed, the sins produced, and the salvation provided. Uh, Jesus turns, as I I said, to speak to the crowd here, um, and he's being clear with them that he's delivering to them not just an opinion on these things, as the scribes and Pharisees do, but that he is proclaiming to them God's truth. He speaks to them as a prophet would speak. Uh, That's sort of what we're to gain from that introduction in verse 14. He called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. That's a way a prophet speaks. Um, That's the way Micah began his prophecy in Micah chapter 1, verse 2. Hear you peoples, all of you. He says that right after we're told in Micah that he comes to bring the word of the Lord. Um, That's how he addresses the congregation. It's a way of saying, what I'm about to say to you is very important. What I'm about to say to you is the word of God. This is a prophetic announcement. Jesus is proclaiming a truth to them. And it's a radical way of re-seeing the problem other than the way the people have been taught to see it. Because what does Jesus say as he reveals the source of defilement? Where does it not come from? Well, he says that in verse 15. Where does the problem not come from? There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. Jesus said, that's not the way to think of the problem. And that kind of obviously connects to what's happened before, what's come before. Because what, what were the Pharisees and scribes teaching us? Well, if, you're, if your hands are defiled from being out, sorry about the jazz hands. Um, if your hands are defiled from being out in the marketplace, and then you bring that defilement into your house, and then you touch food, and then you eat it, what were the Pharisees saying? That's defiling you. You brought that defilement on your hands, you brought it into your house, you put it into your mouth, and you brought in the defilement. And that's why they were saying it's so important to have clean hands, to make sure you wash your hands with that ritual washing of water, to wash away any defilement that might have been in the marketplace. And Jesus is saying, you know what, nothing like that defiles you. That's not where defilement comes from. Now, that would make clear sense from everything that's come in chapter 7. But then he says something about where defilement does come from. Right, so the first part of chapter fifteen, or verse 15, he's clear. It's not from outside coming in that defiles a person. Where does defilement come from? It comes from inside. And then it comes out. And that's what defiles you. It's something inside of you that comes out, and that's what defiles a person, right? And imagine being in the crowd. The things that come out of a person are what defile him. And then Jesus ends what he's saying. You see how if you were in the crowd, it would be easy to say, now I understand the first part, how that connected to what he was saying to the scribes and the Pharisees. That was all about external things coming in and defiling. I I get that. But what is he saying now? You see how you could hear that in the crowd and hear, it's the things that are inside of you that defile you. And what question would come up in your mind? What's inside of me? What's the source of the problem? What's the answer to that question? And that's where the disciples are. I mean, we're very much helped by the fact the disciples don't get anything. Uh, So whenever they have a chance to come and talk to Jesus, what is the first question they always ask? We don't get what you're saying. 
Right? So essentially, they're saying, we get the first part, we get how that all connects, but what on earth is inside of us that's coming out and defiling us? Right? They even describe it as a parable. Uh, you know, help us to understand this parable, Jesus. Now, sometimes, boys and girls, parables are stories, right? The parable of the sower, and, and there's a picture or the parable of the Good Samaritan. There's kind of a story connected. So sometimes Jesus is talking about a story when he talks about a parable. Sometimes a parable is just a puzzling statement. Now, we might call it just a head-scratcher, boys and girls. Jesus said something that was a head-scratcher. That means you scratch your head and you say, I don't get it. I don't understand what you're meaning. It's a puzzle. And that's what the disciples are doing. They're coming and saying, that's a puzzle to us, Jesus. What are the things that are inside of us that come out of us and defile us? We need to understand that. And Jesus comes to them and says, you know, you should know better that it can't be food. He essentially says to the disciples, you understand how the digestive tract works, right? You take food, you put it in your mouth, it goes through the tract, it's expelled. Where does the food not go? Where does things you put in your mouth not ever go? Jesus says they never go to your heart. Now, by heart, he doesn't mean the thing that's beating in our chest. He's using heart the way Isaiah used the word heart in the quotation that comes earlier in the chapter. In vain does this people worship me because they worship me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. That's not the thing beating in your chest, heart. That's heart the way the Bible thinks of heart, the way Proverbs thought of the heart, the way Isaiah thought of the heart, as the moral control center of life. It's the center of life. It's the center of who we are and why we do what we do. Um, It's the center of our emotions, it's the center of our religion, it's the center of our spirituality, of our morality. It's who makes us what we are. It's the thing that's deciding what we do and what we don't do. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says the heart. He said that's why things outside of your body can't come in and defile you, because they never get to the heart. They proceed down a different track, but they never go to the heart. And the heart is the source of the problem. Um, that's why Mark makes this kind of strange editorial comment uh, that, that seems to kind of come out of nowhere, that thus Jesus declared all foods clean. And then he just moves on. <laughs> um, and as a pastor sort of working on this, I thought, I don't know that I can do what Mark did here. I don't know that I can mention it and just move on the, the way Mark does. But I think what Mark is doing is food controversies were huge in the early church. How do we relate to all of these Old Testament controversies? I don't think Mark is saying that Jesus here said anything about clean or unclean foods. But I think what Mark is saying is, this is one of the passages that shows Jesus has come to tear down the wall of separation that stood between Jew and Gentile. He's come to tear down all of that, and part of that was foods. That's what distinguished Jew and Gentile. And so part of tearing down the wall of opposition, of hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile is also tearing down the food regulations. And I think Mark is saying to his Christian readers, look back to texts like this and you'll understand why Jesus came and fulfilled those laws and has abolished them. Why we don't need those dividing walls anymore. Uh, Because it's not whatever, it wasn't ever a matter of what goes into you is making you unclean. It was a way of distinguishing you from the people who did eat those things. 
And when Jesus comes and fulfills the law, he, he erases all of those distinctions. And now what, what truly matters? Not if you're Jew or Gentile or male or female or barbarian or Scythian or slave or free. What matters is, is your heart trusting in the Lord. And so I'm going to leave that there because Mark seems to feel fine leaving it there uh, with a short explanation and return to the main point of what Jesus wants to communicate. It's not something outside of you coming in that defiles you. Where is the defilement coming from? It's coming from inside of you. From inside of you out is where defilement comes from. And what is the source of that defilement? It's the center of your life. It's the control center. It's your heart that's doing it. That's where all the defilement comes out from. Uh, Don't think in terms, he says, of the things that go in. Think in terms of the things that come out and where they're coming out from. Because they come out from the heart. That's the source of defilement. It all resides in the heart. That's where all the defilement is coming from. And so Jesus proclaims that as the source of the problem. These things come out of the heart. And it's out of the heart that all of these sins are produced that defile us. That's what Jesus is saying. First, it's the source proclaimed, the problems in the heart. And then he talks about the sins that are produced. What is coming out of the heart? What is defiling us? Maybe we could be helped by a couple of images that the Belgic Confession uses in Article 15 in talking about original sin. Um, they're, They're vivid mental pictures, and I think they're helpful for us. Article 15 reminds us that sin grows out of a corrupt root of original sin that is in us. All the sins we produce grow up out of that corrupt root. We understand that, right? How root systems grow out and they out and they produce fruit. It uses that image. It also uses the image of a corrupt spring. So there's a corrupt root in us from which all of our sins grow, and there's a corrupt, a contaminated spring in us from which all of our sins flow. Um, and I think that that second metaphor is particularly helpful for our purposes today, to kind of think about it in in what Jesus is saying from the heart in terms of that contaminated spring that is in us, from which everything else flows out. It's the reminder that we, we have to wrestle with, right, that we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's flowing out of us. And that's what Jesus is doing from the heart. So let's think of that like, like that image of a contaminated river. And if, and if a river is contaminated, what is the first thing you need to do? You need to figure out where that's coming from. And so Jesus is saying, it comes from the heart, it begins to flow out. And what's the first outflow of the heart that is causing the problem? Jesus says, well, that first outflow is evil thoughts. Um, In this list of things that Jesus gives here in Mark, he's saying evil thoughts are the first thing that comes. Evil thoughts kind of stand over everything else that Jesus says. Again, if we want to use that metaphor of a river, if from the heart flows evil thoughts, and then it's the evil thoughts that branch out into other rivers or tributaries. Right? Rivers sometimes do that, don't they? They they go down and then they spread out into other rivers rivers or other tributaries of the river. And that's what Jesus is saying. But everything that flows out of the heart first flows into that first one river of evil thoughts. That's where everything else comes from. 
is from the contamination that's in our thoughts. Uh, By thoughts here, Jesus means something that's been carefully thought out. Thought out thoroughly, thought out completely. It's not a passing thought. It's not a fleeting thought. It's a carefully, well-thought-out thought. And Jesus is saying that's what the human heart produces. Carefully, well-thought-out, meticulously calculated evil. That's what flows out of the heart. These evil thoughts. And Jesus says those evil thoughts then branch out into these other rivers. If we're going to continue to think of that that idea, evil thoughts flowing, and then the river branches in two ways. And where does the river branch out first, Jesus says? It branches out first into evil actions. So out of the heart flows evil thoughts, and out of evil thoughts flow evil actions. I think that's what's common about the first few things that Jesus lists here. They're all actions that are violations of one of the commandments. Right, so fornication and adultery, violations of the seventh commandment. Theft, a violation of the eighth commandment. Murder, a violation of the sixth commandment. Covetousness, a violation of the tenth commandment. These are all actions that people take in violation of God's law. And the last, I think, on that list of evil actions is wickedness. Wickedness has a sense of one who is bent on doing what is wicked a kind of deliberate and devoted malice towards other people. That's the way they act. And so Jesus is saying that's what the heart is producing, these evil thoughts that generate all these evil actions. Um, So the evil thoughts go into evil actions and it branches out in all these tributaries of evil, violations of God's commandments. Then he says if you track the contaminated river the other way, it flows into evil thoughts and the evil thoughts flow out then into evil attitudes. I think the last part of this list is, is better summarizing the evil attitudes that exist in the hearts of people. So he talks about the evil that's produced in our actions, but also just the evil attitudes that we carry around in the world about other people. The attitude of deceit, always looking to deceive or beguile other people. A sensuality, which I think he means here a kind of open immorality that lacks all moral restraint particularly in the area of sexual immorality. Uh, Envy. In Greek, envy is literally an eye for evil. It means you're constantly looking around about how you can gain an advantage over someone else. Um, It has to do with greed or trying to take what belongs to your neighbor. Uh, Slander. Again, I think literally blasphemy uh, in Greek. So it's a slanderous attitude, particularly towards our God. Then pride, which we know well as a sin, that sin that C.S. Lewis famously called the ultimate anti-God state of mind, that it's from the sin of pride that the devil became the devil, thinking that he should be in God's place. Um, And then again, we kind of have a catch-all at the end, foolishness. Uh, Foolishness in the sense that Proverbs talks about fools, where the dominant disposition of the person is moral and spiritual insensitivity. A fool is always walking around, they don't know God and they don't want to know God. Um, I just happened to be watching the news this morning before coming here and they were running an ad for a coalition of atheists, freedom from religion in government. 
and the ad, end, the ad ended with the person saying, devoted, identifying himself, saying, devoted atheist and not afraid of burning in hell. That was kind of how he put it. And I thought to myself of the psalm saying, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You might not care now, but you will. Uh, that's the ultimate anti-God state of mind. And you see what Jesus is saying to us? The problem is far more serious than a matter of washing hands. Because washing hands is not going to deal with that. It's not going to deal with that kind of contaminated river that's flowing out over everything. That's the problem. That's what's defiling us. That's what's in the heart that comes spilling out of us into the world. That's the kind of defilement that's defiling us. That's the sin that's being produced. That's the true nature of the problem. And why does Jesus want us to understand that problem so properly? Because when we start to consider the damage that's been done by defilement, we'll hopefully understand there's only one person who can fix that problem. Right? Because if it's a small problem we might think that we can fix it. Um, this is not just a problem that the scribes and the Pharisees made. This is a problem that we make oftentimes still today in the Christian church. There are lots of places where people basically think, I'm basically a good person, I just have a little bit of badness that needs cleaning up. I'm not dead, I'm just a little sick. And so what I need God to help me do is, is to get a little better. Um, but if I really, you know, devote myself and clean up my act, I think I can make myself acceptable to God. What we have to do is compare that idea to what Jesus says here. Is Jesus sketching a small problem? A small problem with a simple solution? No, I've got something within me that is just constantly boiling out into evil. Evil thoughts, evil actions, evil attitudes. Who's going who's gonna to fix that? Who has the power to do it? And Jesus wants us to understand the problem so that we'll understand that he's the only one who can fix that problem. Because if the problem is the heart, then what do I need? I need a new heart. Right? If anything is going to be stopped in this river of contagion flowing out, it has to be stopped in the heart. And there's only one person who can fix the heart, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can deal with the source of our problem and all the stuff that's flowed out. So the first place he begins is with the heart. And that's the glorious truth of the gospel when it comes to salvation, is that God comes and says, your heart is not working. So I'm going to give you a new heart. That's what we need above all, isn't it? We need a new center of life. We need a new control center that won't issue out in all kinds of evil, but will actually issue out in good. And that's the glorious good news of the gospel. Jesus comes and says, by my spirit, I give you a new heart. But what was the prayer that we prayed from Psalm 51 when it came to confession? Create in me a clean heart, O God. Why do I need a clean heart? 
So I have a clean heart that issues in good thoughts. So a sweet river now flows where a corrupt river flowed before. Instead of a contaminated river, there's clean water flowing. And it flows into good thoughts. And those thoughts branch out not into wickedness and into evil, but good thoughts produce good actions. And good thoughts produce good attitudes. Right? Where once only sin flowed, now holiness flows. Now righteousness flows. There's a new heart, a new identity. And that is the work of a new creation. It's not something we can do for ourselves. It's not simply a matter of fixing a little bit what was broken with it. It has to be replaced. It has to be a new creation. And that's what God does. That's what regeneration is. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you must be born again. You must be born from above. You have to have a heart that has its origin in heaven. And the good news of the gospel is, that's what God provides us. A new heart that is rooted in the Spirit of God. A new heart that issues out in good things. That's why when Paul describes what God does, how does he describe it? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul wants us to understand the radical nature of what God has done. He's put in us a new heart. That is a new creation. And the fact of the matter is, you can't create things and I can't create things. Only God can create things. Only God out of nothing can create a new heart. A clean heart that issues forth. That's why we need a new heart in salvation. That's why we need to be made new creatures in Christ. But we also need to deal, we need someone who can deal with all the contamination that's flowed out and defiled us. Right? If we think in earthly terms about a contaminated river, you've got to figure out where it's contaminating from and cut off the source. But once you've cut off the source, there's all that contamination now to deal with. You can't just stop the source. That's a crucial beginning. But that doesn't fix the whole problem, does it? And so in salvation, we need a new heart. We need to cut off the evil outflow. But what do we do with the evil outflow that's contaminated us? If that was all that salvation was, just a new heart, we would still have all of this defilement undealt with. But of course, Jesus is no half-savior. So he comes into the world not only to give us a new heart by his spirit, but also to deal with our defilement by his cross. Every evil thought that is issued out of the heart of the believer into evil actions, into evil attitudes, has been paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ. He has covered it over all. And when we think about the magnitude of the defilement that we spread out over the course of our lives, we recognize the value of the death of the Son of God, that His righteousness is enough to blot that out. In human terms, when we hear about some you know, environmental disaster where something's been contaminated, that, that's sometimes how we feel, right? Who's going to clean this up? How is that even going to be done? And when we think about the spiritual defilement that's, thrown, that's flowed out, that's what should 
prompt our minds and hearts to say too. Who is going to clean this up? We should get to that point of the Apostle Paul. Wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Who can clean this up? But what is the very next thing he says? Thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ, whose blood has the power to make the most defiled person clean. Can take away everything that has flowed. That's what his cross was about in paying for all that we had done. And not only to pay for the defilement, but to provide the clean righteousness without which no one can see God. Christ paid the price for our sin, and he provided the cleanness without which we could not stand before God. That's also the truth Paul professes in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the glory of the salvation that Christ has provided for us. A new heart and salvation from defilement. It doesn't mean we won't wrestle with sin anymore. It doesn't mean we won't still struggle with that old self we will carry around with us until Christ returns in glory. But it does mean that we will not be condemned on account of our failures. Um, Even though we wrestle with these things, as the Belgic Confession beautifully puts it, our original sin is not imputed to God's children for their condemnation, but is forgiven by His grace and mercy. This is the Savior that's come. And this is what Christ wants us to understand. In closing, we've said again and again, what was the mission of the Son of God as He came into the world? What did He continually tell people? That He had come to restore in righteousness what was ruined in rebellion. And one of the great restorative works He does is in the human heart. To restore what was ruined in rebellion, to create a new control center in life that issues out in good thoughts and holy actions and holy attitudes to the glory of our God. Thanks be to God that the control center of life is not now against God, but for Him. And let's look forward to that day when with undivided hearts and minds, we will serve the Lord perfectly in glory. What a day that will be. Amen.